Good morning. My name is Michael Wicks. I'm one of the pastors here. And I don't have any Mediterranean fare for you just now, but I pray that uh, God would help us feast on his word. So if you would turn in your Bibles to that Philippians passage that we might uh, hear from God uh, with me. Let me pray for us as I do that. Loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you're a God who loves us, who cares for us, who longs to be in relationship with us, so much so that you speak to us. And Father, we ask now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to feed on your word. Help us to hear you, help us to know you, that we might love you, and that we might serve you with all that we are. And this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I wonder what you want to be remembered for. What do you think people will be saying about you at your funeral? Maybe they'll say something about how good you were at business, how successful you were. Maybe for your work with the less fortunate. Maybe they'll talk about your love of others or your love for your family. Well, in our, pas- in our passage today, <coughs> we're presented with two examples of people who are remembered for their service. People who have embodied what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel, following the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is our third and final Sunday in our Disciplines of Disciples series, where we've been focusing on different topics that come up from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Two weeks ago, John spoke about prayer. Last week, Sam looked at scripture, and today we are focusing on service. Now, the important work of prayer and holding fast to the word of God means absolutely nothing if it's left in the ivory tower. If it's locked away in our hearts and we let it have no impact on our lives, on our hands and feet. Being in prayer and the word should overflow into service. Service is the fruit of these things that comes by the power of the Spirit. So this morning we'll both see and sense the call of servanthood through these real-life examples of First Timothy and then Epaphroditus and last of all the local church just like ours. With Timothy we'll see... That service is genuine. With Epaphroditus, we'll see that genuine service involves sacrifice. And then we'll turn to the call of a local church to serve and see what that looked like for the Philippians and what that looks like for you and for me. So first, Timothy with genuine service. Second, Epaphroditus with sacrificial service. And third, the Falls Church and local service. Now, Paul deeply cares for the Philippians. He longs to be with them, but he's stuck in prison. So he decides to send Timothy to them in order to hear how they are going. The reason why he sends Timothy is because there is no one else like him who is genuinely concerned for his welfare, for their welfare. Look at verses 19 and 20 again with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
For Paul, it's a universal truth that all people are in want of their own interests. But this is not just Paul. This is the Bible's understanding of humanity. Apart from Christ and the Holy Spirit work within us, we are left to our own devices, our own desires. We are utterly self-centered. Elsewhere, elsewhere, Paul puts it like this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Uh, my wife Rachel and I have two kids. Jonathan, who is two years old, and he's turning three this week. I'm sure he'll tell you if you ask him. Uh, and Rosemary, who's 10 months old, uh, and they've just started playing together. And I say, you know, I use this playing together because what it actually looks like is that Jonathan will be playing with his toys, you know, trucks or something, and then Rosemary will start crawling over to where he is and start meddling in his affairs. <laughs> and inevitably, you hear this scream uh, come out, no, mine! as Rosemary uh, is trying to steal away Jonathan's toys and Jonathan grabs them away from her. You know, I didn't have to teach him how to say that. He just naturally says that. Without the Holy Spirit, we all tend towards self-centeredness. But for those who are in Christ, with the Holy Spirit's help, a change occurs. Through the means of word and prayer, the Spirit starts convicting us, starts converting us, renovating our hearts, so they beat more and more in line with our saviors. Eventually, by God's grace, we might change our focus from self to others, from selfish to servant. And this is what we see in the example of Timothy. But what does it mean that his concern is genuine? Well, one thing it means is that it's not casual. I wonder if you've ever used that well-meaning phrase, I'll be praying for you. You know, you might be listening to a person and you really want to pray for them, but other things get in the way. You forget, you get distracted, uh, so you return to your normal life and you completely forget what that person was talking about and who they were. Maybe that, maybe that never happened to you. You really mean to pray for them, but other things, other people take priority and you just wonder to yourself, am I ever being genuine? Now, Timothy's concern was genuine. Not only did he pray for the Philippians, but he also gave his time and his energy for them. He reorganized his life and his priorities for their sake. He regarded them as more important than himself. His concern wasn't casual, but he genuinely cared for them, and he took time to show it. He put their interests above his own, he put Jesus' interests above his own. It's all too easy to put other things first, isn't it? It might be your name or your reputation, your happiness, your plans, your future, your children, your retirement. Any endless number of things can come first. Maybe these are good things. These are good things. They re require time and energy and dedication. They require time and planning. But one pattern of sin is when these good things become ultimate things. When we worship these good things rather than worshiping God. When we 
Serve those things and use God rather than serving God and using those things. Timothy put Christ first. Together with Christ's interests, all the other things fell into place naturally. Throughout history, there's been any number of extraordinary people who have put Jesus first. People like Jim Elliot, who was killed as a missionary in Ecuador, who famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Or Hudson Taylor or Lottie Moon, who were missionaries in China. Or Howard Guinness of the Brewing family, who was sent to Australia on a one-way ticket could there be anything worse? To develop Christian student groups on university campuses. Obviously, I love Australia. His influence largely shaped my call to ministry. These extraordinary men and women sacrificed everything for Christ and for the work of the gospel. But you can just look in this sent booklet, which we gave out last week, and hopefully there's some up the back if you haven't got one. You'll find ordinary people, normal people, many from our church, who are seeking to put Jesus first in their life. Now, I'm not saying that you have to sell all your earthly possessions and move to the majority world uh, in order to show genuine concern, but let these people be an encouragement to you and pray for them as they seek to glorify God. Genuine concern is not casual. It puts the needs of others first which also means that it's not surface level. In order to put the needs of others first, you must know what their needs are. Timothy had to know what the needs of the Philippians were. He would have to be aware of their physical needs and their spiritual needs. See, one of the ways that he served them was through the work of spreading the gospel. So you see, in order to be genuine in our concern, we must be alert both to people's temporal needs, the things that they need to survive, to survive in this life, but also we need to be aware of their spiritual needs, the things that they need to survive in eternity. How many people do you actually know the needs of? You might know your friends, their favorite football team, their, the car that they drive, but how do you really know what their physical and spiritual needs are? Genuine concern is not surface level. And genuine concern is tested over time and time. It's proven to be the real thing. Paul trusted Timothy and his concern for the Philippians because it has been tested over time. Timothy had proven himself. As just like a son with a father, Timothy had served with Paul in the work of sharing that gospel. Now, imagine if this week you were going into a major surgery. This probably isn't an imagination series for some of you. It's probably real life. But what kind of surgeon would you like doing the surgery on you this week, doing a major surgery? Do you want some punk like me, just straight out of college, no experience, full-headed, coming into the surgery? Never done this procedure before. Or do you want the experienced surgeon, someone who has successfully done this surgery time and time again. I'm going for the experienced surgeon. I'm not picking me. So genuine concern is not casual, it's not surface level, and it is proven. It seeks to truly see people for who they are 
and what their physical and spiritual needs are. And it shows up, it shows up time and time again. Timothy is an example of a servant like Jesus Christ. Jesus, even though he was God, he didn't count his power or his status, his privilege or his rights as something to be used as his own advantage. He willingly and freely gave them up for you and for me. By humbling himself and taking on our flesh, he gave it all up for us and for our salvation. Jesus was genuinely concerned for us and for our welfare. So Timothy is our first example of a servant. He was devoted to others with genuine concern for them, which was proven by how he put them first. The second example Paul gives us is Epaphroditus. Now Epaphroditus was a Philippian who was sent as a messenger, as a messenger from Philippi to Paul uh, with their financial gifts, and he went he, to serve Paul in however he could. But Epaphroditus is much more than just a messenger or delivery boy for Paul. We see this in verse 25, how highly Paul regarded him. He's Paul's brother and co-worker and fellow soldier. They'd formed a deep bond, working hard together and fighting, not against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil. Epaphroditus was there for Paul when the Philippians and many others couldn't be. That's why Paul urges the Philippians to honor him and honor people like him. He's also admired Epaphroditus because of the deep concern that he sees in him. This is seen when Epaphroditus became so anxious when the Philippians heard that Epaphroditus was sick that he wanted to be with them that he could calm their fears. But the great depth of his concern is really evident in verse 30. So let's look at verses 29 and 30 again. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Clearly, Epaphroditus is worthy of honor. Here is someone of selfless devotion, whose concern is so deep, he was willing to sacrifice everything for others. He was ready to risk it all, to serve Jesus and to serve Paul. There's no riskier gamble, there's no greater sacrifice. It's very easy to serve when it doesn't cost us anything. When you can take nice photos of what you're doing and maybe you're painting a house and you can put that on Instagram or you can put it on your resume. You can go on a short-term mission, help a few people and feel really good about yourself. But will you serve when it costs you something? When it means sacrificing? Maybe it costs your reputation because you're associated with a Bible-believing church. Maybe it costs you financial strain because you are adopting a child or you're uh, providing for a struggling family. Maybe it costs you your health because you're willingly putting yourself in danger for the sake of others. This is what we see with Epaphroditus. He wasn't doing it for fun. He didn't get any good photos for his social media. His life actually got harder because of his service, so hard that he nearly died. So what motivates someone to do this? What motivates Epaphroditus to take such a big risk? Well, Paul connects Epaphroditus' deep concern back to Jesus, 
He uses the same phrase of nearly dying as he does when he talks about Jesus being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, in verse 8. Epaphroditus was willing to risk his life because he knew that Jesus had already made that ultimate sacrifice for him. Jesus gave up his life so that Epaphroditus might be forgiven and brought back into relationship with him. He probably didn't even see it as a risk-reward scenario, but more of a win-win. Much like with Paul, for Epaphroditus to live is Christ and to die is gain. He can risk it all because it really isn't a risk at all. It is all reward. Sure, he might lose it all in this life, but he was willing to do that because he knew that he had a greater reward in heaven. He knew that it was far better to be called a fool in this life so that in the life to come, he might be called a good and faithful servant. What we see in the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus is that they not only think on these things, but they put them into practice. Their love for God and their love for others is seen through their service. And as servants, they genuinely cared and they sacrificially gave. Lastly, I want to think about us at the Falls Church and what does it look like for a church to serve? Serving is not just done by these exemplary individuals. It's also the work of us, the local church. We see this all throughout the passage, particularly in verse 30, where we read that Epaphroditus is completing the service of the Philippian church. He was sent out from them as their chosen servant. We also read in this letter of the partnership that they had in the gospel with Paul, how they had given uh, aid to Paul in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, excuse me, get my tongue around that, <coughs> Thessalonica, and that when he uh, set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with him in the matter of giving and receiving except for the Philippians. They were a church that served. Now, I am so encouraged by all that I've seen at the Falls Church since I've been here, since coming here in August. It's clear to me that the Falls Church is a church that serves. There have been so many people who have been so gripped by the love of Christ that they look for opportunities to love and serve others, and I've seen that in you. My wife Rachel and I have been uh, experiencing this already from many of you. We're so grateful for those who have welcomed us into their homes for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, uh, for dinner, for uh, hanging out for coffee. There's people who've looked after our children. There are those who have sacrificed time for our needs, someone who looked for a house for us when we were trying to look for uh, somewhere to rent. Thank you to those people who have cared for us, who have served us. And this is not to mention those who have been sent out on mission, who have been sent to serve the poor and sent into each other's houses and lives. It really does warm my heart and spurs me on, and I'm proud to call the Falls Church my church. The brothers and sisters in Christ, Let's not take this for granted. This is something we need to keep working at because what the first generation believes, the second assumes and the third loses. So we need to continually encourage one another to not grow weary in doing good. Serving is a discipline. 
It's a discipline that can be learned over time through hard work and dedication. So I want to encourage you to think about how you might serve this year. You can start small by serving those around you who, are, who you see daily, your family or your co-workers. Then reach out to someone on this staff and find out how you can serve your church family. Then you can think about how God might use you and your gifts and the talents that he's given you to serve the local community around us. There are so many opportunities to serve. There is so much work to be done for the sake of Christ. But as you put that work in, what you'll find is that you have been made to serve. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that we have been set free from slavery to sin and the law in order that we might serve God. Serving is what we were made for, and it's what we have been redeemed for. It is in service to God that we find true freedom. As we lose sight of ourselves, as we lose sight of our anxieties and our issues, and we keep our eyes fixed on him. So what do you want to be remembered for? How big your office was? How well decorated your house was? How fashionable or well educated your children are? Is that what your lasting memory, you want your lasting memory to be? Is that what you want your life to be about? Or do you want to be remembered like Timothy for his genuine concern? Or like Epaphroditus who sacrificially gave himself for others? I pray that God would make us more and more like himself. More and more like our Savior Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and to give his, himself as a, as a ransom for many. I'm going to pray for us using a prayer from our Book of Common Prayer. So let's pray. O God, the light of the minds that know you, the life of the souls that love you, and the strength of the wills that serve you, help us so to know you that we may truly love you, and so to love you that we may fully serve you, whom to serve is perfect freedom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand and join us.